the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Much on the agenda today by way of consumer protections and challenges to your rights as a consumer. Good afternoon, by the way. Welcome on into this Wednesday edition of Lifeline for the sixth day of September. A little bit later on in the program, we're going to talk about some interesting emerging changes in the EU where big tech companies that are predominantly, in fact, I think almost without exception, all American-based, Apple, Amazon, Meta, others, are coming under closer scrutiny by the European Union and essentially um, creating an environment where it almost appears as if the EU is afraid of American competition, and so they want to kind of muzzle the way on in. We're going to find out what's going on and how it potentially could impact us on this side of the pond. James Chernowski joins us. James is a senior policy analyst with Americans for Prosperity. We'll get to that part of the conversation a little bit later on in tonight's program. But I want to lead off with a story that we've been covering off and on for many, many weeks now. And I know by way of introduction, it would come as no surprise to you listening to this radio program and residing in this part of the state, in this state, that we are one of the most heavily taxed portions of the planet. Look at what you pay for gasoline at the pump, on average almost a dollar a gallon higher than the rest of the country, largely because of taxes. Look at what we pay in sales taxes, some of the highest in the country. Part of that has to do for the influence of um, BART, if you live in a county that has BART service. But uh, nevertheless, some of the highest tax rates. And then let's not even get started when it comes to things like income tax rates and property transfer tax rates and things of this sort. And on and on the list goes. You live here, you know the pain that I'm talking about. There was an attempt successfully back in the 1970s to try to get a handle in at least one of the areas of runaway taxes, and that was property taxes. And my goodness, can you imagine... How impossible California would be for probably two-thirds of its current residents had Proposition 13 not been passed that would put a cap on the rate at which local municipalities and counties can increase property taxes? Were were we in a scenario like a Connecticut, for example? I mean, you, you would probably see your property tax rate double the amount of what you pay for your, your mortgage. I don't mean by month, I mean for the year. With that, and since the passage of Prop 13, politicians in this state have always had their designs on doing everything that they can to undermine 
the power and the protections of Proposition 13. And they've done this through the courts. They've done this through legislation. They've done this even through propositions that promise one thing. And, you know, (laughs) the old story, what the big print giveth, the little print taketh away. Yeah. Well, that's been going on and continues to take place here in California. And in particular, right now, there's a battle royale brewing up in relationship to um, a couple of um, constitutional amendments, uh, ACA 13 and ACA 1. And there's a little bit of confusion here in that in one case, if this were to pass, it would make it more difficult to get citizen initiatives like Proposition 13 on the ballot and passed. In another case, it will make it easier to get legislative tax increases by way of the ballot passed. So they're trying to create a scenario where they get to eat their cake or take their cake and eat it too, or actually take your cake and eat it too. So let's find out what's going on in this battle. Susan Shelley joining us, President of Communications for the Harvard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Susan, is always a delight and a privilege to have you join us. Uh, kind of break down for me what's going on for listeners that have been on vacation and not keeping up. Is that a pretty good overall summary between ACA 13 and 1, that in one case they're trying to make it more difficult to get citizen initiatives on the ballot, and in another case, they're trying to make it easier to get legislative initiatives on the ballot passed? Yes, that's exactly what they're doing. This is the latest round of a 45-year war in whether it will be easier to raise your taxes or harder to raise your taxes. And if anybody lived through the 1970s when inflation was roaring, as you said, Prop 13 came in and put a cap on how much property taxes could go up because without that cap they were going up with the market value of property and people were getting taxed out of their home on these inflationary paper profits that they now owed taxes on so prop 13 came in it cut the tax rate that was one big thing that it did it was a statewide average of more than two percent and prop 13 cut it to one percent and it also said that for as long as you owned your property your assessed value which is the the value on which you are paying tax cannot go up more than 2%. And because Howard Jarvis knew that these government people would try to get around it, and they would try to pass different taxes and raise different taxes, he also put things in Prop 13 that made it difficult for that to happen. And one of them was the two-thirds vote requirement for local taxes. Local taxes must go on the ballot, and according to Prop 13, all local taxes needed a two-thirds vote of the electorate. And then the courts came in and they said, well, maybe not. Maybe if it's a general tax, it only needs a simple majority. And if it's a tax for a special purpose, where you tell the voters it'll be spent on police or something similar, maybe that needs a two-thirds. So that was in 1982. And that began this back and forth and back and forth. There were several propositions that taxpayer groups and business interests put on the ballot to stop this from happening, to try and put back what Prop 13 had. Eventually, it came down. There was one in in 1986, Prop 62. There was one in 1996, Prop 218. There was one in 2010, Prop 26. Back and forth, back and forth. The latest development is that the California Supreme Court said in 2017, maybe it doesn't need a two-thirds vote if it's a citizen's initiative tax increase. Now I ask you, 
How many times do citizens get out of bed in the morning and say, I want to go stand in front of Costco and collect signatures for a tax increase? How often does that happen? Oh, yeah, every day. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) It only happens for the special interests who get the money. Those are the so-called citizen groups that do this. So that's what's been happening for five years now, is that these special interest groups have gone to the ballot and they said, well, we want to raise taxes and because we're a citizen's initiative, the court says maybe it only takes a simple majority. And so far, the appellate courts have said, well, that sounds about right. And that's where we are. So what's coming up in November of 2024, the latest round of the taxpayers fighting back. It's the Taxpayer Protection and Government Accountability Act. It's an initiative from the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association that puts back the two-thirds vote for special taxes, no matter how they get on the ballot. And because it's polling so well, here comes the state legislature to change the rules for passing constitutional amendments. Not for all of them, just for this one. It's the craziest thing. Well, it's the craziest thing, but you know what, Susan? Uh, I think given the mentality in Sacramento, it's something that can fully be anticipated. Um, Because as I said earlier, there is always the desire by Sacramento to have our cake and eat it too. And, you know, for the benefit of listeners who say, well, you know, you you mentioned about the 2% um, cap on the annual increase in the appraised value and yet I look, I do the math I get maybe from my municipality or my county an appraisal letter every year of what the property is worth based on its Prop 13 value and then when my actual property tax bill shows up a few months later I go, wait a minute, that doesn't equate to 2%. Well, that's because there's special bond measures that are approved it is quite frequent that for example the school district is looking for money they float a bond measure or maybe the city says we need more money to improve parks street lighting vector control on and on the list goes and and suddenly you look at the two percent of the appraised prop 13 value and find out that the bill is uh, on average two two thirds higher than again and so what's problematic about all this is that you know the idea that well this is just going to affect the the citizen propositions wait a minute you know how often do we know that the legislature will oftentimes run for cover meaning eh, they know it's an election year they don't want to have to take the heat by outright raising taxes so what they're going to do is they'll get a group together they'll give it some phony sounding name you know citizens for better life and then they'll go out and collect (laughs) the signatures in order to increase taxes for some whatever it might be and they manage to to get their hand in your pocket yet once again. So it just seems to me like they're trying to make it not only more difficult on one hand for the whole proposition methodology to work, which has essentially been put in place because when this legislature stopped doing its job, citizens realized, well, somebody's got to run the state. I guess we have to do it. And then to to lower that um, the threshold in order to pass a tax increase, you know, it doesn't take much. And Susan, we can 
talk about this after the break, but it doesn't take much for them to come up with a very cleverly worded. And I want to tell you, you look at the wording on your ballot for propositions. Don't think that somebody just decided, okay, we'll just write a sentence or two that describes what we're trying to do here. Oh, no, that stuff is tested. It goes before focus groups. They fine tune that thing. That That is probably the most worked sentence since Shakespeare began writing in order to make sure that in the end it conveys not what they want you to know, but how they want you to vote. And this is what makes reducing that threshold to a pure majority plus one so terribly dangerous because you might think in some cases, and we've all seen it, where you think the no vote is going to protect you from the tax increasing when in fact just the opposite is true. Or it's worded in such a way that you think, oh, we're going to have all this great money coming in to help benefit schools when in fact fine print once again. Again, big print gives the promises, little print, fine print takes it all away. Suddenly you find out, yeah, but that's capped at only a certain percentile and the rest of it's going into the general fund. This is why having these strong thresholds becomes so important because otherwise it is just simply too easy for the people that want to manipulate taxpayers to do just that, manipulate taxpayers. Susan Shelley with us today, president of communications with the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. We're talking about an effort to try and amend Prop 13 via ACA 13, also looking at the aspects related to ACA 1. And we're going to get to more details for you in a moment as our conversation with Susan Shelley continues on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. Susan Shelley, president of communications with the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, is with us this evening. We are updating you on um, a couple of constitutional amendments proposed by the California State Legislature in one case um, in the form of ACA 13 and ACA 1. And as I alluded to with a bit of... uh, Animation just prior to the break. Uh, as usual, it's it's not in the big language where you got to watch out for the gotchas. It's in the little language. So, for the benefit again of listeners tonight that are thinking, are you talking about the possibility that my my property taxes go, could go up? Yes, that the amount of money that I spend uh, related to everything from uh, taxes on goods and services, all that could all that go up? Yes. Walk us through in terms of what is important for people to do today in order to not only strengthen the protections that Proposition 13 has provided us historically, but to help set up a roadblock that will make it significantly more difficult for the legislature to play games with taxpayers in the future. Exactly. Well, we have to defeat these two proposed constitutional amendments from the legislature. One is ACA 1 and one is ACA 13. And they both just today got through the assembly and they're on their way to the Senate. So call your state Senate representative, look them up at findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov, findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. And ask your state senator to protect Proposition 13, because both of these are an attack on Prop 13. ACA 1 would take the threshold that's two-thirds currently and drop it to 55% for everything that they define as infrastructure or affordable housing, which is 
everything. What's not infrastructure? Everything is infrastructure the way they define it. You pour a little puddle of concrete next to a salary increase, it's infrastructure. So this has to be stopped because this is a rocket engine to raise your taxes over and over again on every ballot. Instead of having to get two-thirds to pass a tax increase, they can squeak it through with 55 Well, not only that, and the people need to understand, you know, it, oftentimes these sorts of measures are, are created with very altruistic terms, you know, that we want to help, you know, fortify schools against earthquakes and build safer roads. Well, who's against that? But what they'll do is they'll shift tax dollars elsewhere, and there might even be dollars that originally been budgeted for Project A, but they'll say, we're going to take those dollars, we're going to spend it over here on our the mayor's pet project instead, and then we're going to declare that there's a shortfall, but that's okay. We'll make up for it by floating a ballot proposition that will provide for cash in order so we can hire more police or increase lighting in dangerous areas, and as you say, anything and everything that government does, probably 95% of what it does has some touch to infrastructure of one sort or another, sidewalks, roads, you know, buildings for schools, the whole nine yards. And so, right. you know, they, they want to pretend as if they don't know what they're doing here or they're not trying to pull a fast one on us when that's exactly what they're trying to do. That's exactly what they're trying to do. And the, the purpose of the two-thirds vote, which goes way, way back to the 1849 or the 1879 California Constitution, you needed a two-thirds vote to pass bonds. And the reason is because you're incurring taxes that someone else is going to have to pay, either in future generations or perhaps you're taxing people who are you're voting to take someone else's money, which is a great thing. But it's not a great thing to have a, a situation where the people over here can tax the people over there in every election. But sooner or later, the people over there are going to move to Texas. And then what are you going to do for money? So this has to be stopped. The two thirds vote protection is very important. It assures that there is a consensus that something is really necessary. And and as you said, they should be spending the money you're already paying on these high priorities and not spending the money on nonsense and then saying they don't have any money for the thing that they should have paid for first. Now, let's shift to the, uh, what should we call this, the, the bait and switch of ACA 13. Break that down for us. Well, ACA 13 is sort of, if, if, imagine you've got two criminals and one's wearing a judicial robe and sitting in a courtroom and one's in the legislature. They're working together on this. The courts are attacking Prop 13. And the taxpayers want to come back with an initiative which has already qualified for November 2024, the Taxpayer Protection Act, which puts back the two-thirds protections that the courts are taking away. What the legislature's doing is they want to have special rules for the Taxpayer Protection Act that don't apply to anything else, just that. And they're going to say that one needs a different threshold to pass and become part of the Constitution than everything else in California history. All the way back to 1849, in the handwritten Constitution, all constitutional amendments have to go on the ballot, and they need a simple majority, 50% plus one vote, to pass all constitutional amendments. They're changing it on this. So that when the taxpayers come back and try to put back their two-thirds protection, which they've already passed in Prop 13, but it keeps getting eroded, we try to put that back, and they're going to say, oh, well, well, you're asking for a two-thirds vote, so you have to get a two-thirds vote for your constitutional amendment to pass. It's very difficult. Even Prop 13 came in at like 64.7%. It didn't quite get to 66.67. So what they're saying is we don't want any more taxpayer protections ever. We want to be able to raise taxes with a simple majority all the time. 
And that is going to cost you a lot of money as a property owner. And, you know, some and people will wonder, well, how, how, and some people will wonder, well, how is it that they're able to pull these things off? Well, for example, they, they might word something in terms of, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're putting forward this proposition, but it's only going to impact property owners. And you're thinking, well, I dodged the bullet on that. I live in an apartment. I, I rent a house. I'm in a, uh, a townhome that I'm renting from somebody else. And you think it doesn't impact you. And you hear all the wonderful, flowery, altruistic promises related to this proposition. So you, not having a dog in this hunt, as my grandmother used to say, vote for it. Not connecting the dots quite that because you live in a piece of property that you may not own, but somebody does else owns, they're going to say, well, guess what? As my costs increase, I'm going to pass that on to who? I'm going to pass that on to my tenants. And so everybody ends up feeling the pain, but folks vote for it, not fully realizing that it's the old trickle-down theory fully in effect. And so having some of these two-thirds protections in are important. But when you try to put them in because you're trying to prevent the citizens from having a voice, that's what really makes this insidious and so terribly dangerous, Susan. It's so true. But, you know, sometimes the taxpayers fight back when no one expects it. And one of these examples is our repeal the death tax campaign, which is now available. You can get the petition. We've talked about this before. Well, we finally have it filed and available for signatures and everybody can download a petition that they can print at home and it's legally valid so you go to repeal and download the petition you can do it immediately sign it in 10 minutes and we can repeal the terrible tax on property in families when it's transferred from parents to children that now under prop 19 from 2020 has a huge tax increase attached to it we're going to repeal that part of Prop 19. And, and I want folks to be uh, to be mindful of what this did. It, it was really touted at the time and, and largely promoted by California real estate agents as uh, the panacea for senior citizens that uh, because of the high cost of property tax in the state, and if you reach the golden age of 55 and decide you want to sell the family home, you're going to uh, take some of the money from those expensive two-by-fours, put them in the bank, spend it on vacation as you head into retirement and the rest put into a new home, you're effectively exchanging your lower Prop 13 protected tax rate for whatever the current market value is of the property that you're purchasing. What a horrible thing to do to elderly Californians. So let's pass a measure that says we're going to provide for effectively what is uh, tax-based mobility, uh, portability. So you can take your tax base with you anywhere in the state. How nice how wonderful the legislature is looking out for all of us. But once again, what the big print giveth, the little print taketh away. It also created an ex- extremely dangerous, almost, dare I say, highway robbery provision that said, and oh, by the way, when you have a parent or grandparent in the state of California who dies... Normally, you inherit their property and their property tax rate. Not anymore. We're going to put a special little provision in that says within 24, no, I'm sorry, within 12 months of their passing, you've barely had a chance to process the loss of mom and dad. And suddenly you're faced with the prospect of either moving into that home in order to maintain the tax base 
or having it reevaluated at the full market value. So all of a sudden now, the legacy that you think your parent or grandparent has passed along disappears. The ability to maintain that lower tax rate that maybe for you that was going to become your retirement income, this is part of the family financial legacy, effectively gets stolen right from underneath you. And while the benefits of the tax portability were being touted by the California real estate brokers, uh, what they didn't want to tell you was the real intent was let's get you to sell mom and dad's house quickly when you realize you're not going to be able to maintain their tax rate. And that became the California death tax. So information regarding how you can uh, print out, download, print out and um, get signatures on that. um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Petition. Thank you. I lost my train of thought there for a minute. How you can download the petition available by going to repeal the death tax.com. That's repeal the death tax. Com. And again, reminding you about the importance of reaching out uh, to your member of the California State Senate. You can find that information if you don't know who he or she is by going to findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. That's findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. And then reach out to him, her, or all of them and urge them a no vote on ACA 13 and a no vote on ACA 1. And we are indebted, as always, to Susan Shelley, President of Communications with the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, for that update. Uh, Susan, you know, the battle is enjoying, but we're just going to keep on fighting. We absolutely are. And if it gets to the Senate, it goes to the ballot. And if that happens, we'll fight it there. You're absolutely right. But let's try to prevent that from happening, folks. So here's your chance. Make it simple. Make it easy. Go to findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. Get the contact information. It doesn't have to be war and peace. You just send them an email, them a simple note, and say, Dear Senator so-and-so, please vote no on ACA 13. No on ACA number one. More information available, again, by uh, simply going online to find out who your rep is. Findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. And again, for uh, repealing the California death tax, you want to protect your family's financial heritage. Download the, um, uh, the, the uh, I keep want to say proposition, the petition. There you go. Download the petition. Repealthedeathtax.com. That's repealthedeathtax.com. Our thanks once again to Susan Shelley, President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, for that vitally important update. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We often hear it said that big tech needs to be reined in and there's, you know, always talk about putting the the uh, microscope on organizations like Apple, Amazon, the so-called FANG uh, group, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, when the proposal comes from the EU and when you kind of begin to dig down, it begins to make you wonder whether or not this is trying to um, hold the so-called gatekeepers responsible or effectively squash competition. There's aspects to what's going on in a proposal right now by the EU that uh, I think my next guest finds troubling. James Chernowski joins us, Senior Policy Analyst in Technology and Innovation at Americas for Prosperity. And James, always good to have you on the program. Why do I get the sense that, and I know there's talk about, well, consumers get taken advantage of, because for example, if you buy Microsoft Windows, it forces 
forces you to install Microsoft Edge. That's an unfair advantage. Maybe, but don't consumers have the ability to load Edge up and then say, where do I find open source browsers? And then decide to install Chrome Opera, Firefox, plenty of choices out there. Won't cost you the thing. Equally competitive with with Edge. It just seems to me that there's something more afoot here. Well, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think you kind of uh, hit the nail on the head there with your example because yeah, Microsoft might force you to have Edge uh, as a default thing as a part of their software package. But it's easy to just go and open that right up and go and find your your browser and search engine of choice and download that and work with that. Um, so it is definitely, I think, a little silly. But the whole point here that concerns me with these gatekeeper de- designations that were released today, a total of six were released. And out of those six, five of them were American companies. And the last was ByteDance, which is the popular Chinese company that owns TikTok. Um, but five American companies out of six. Uh, and it's, it's not hiding the ball here. The European Union has not, you know, minced words here. They are coming and chasing American firms. And trying to you know rein them in if you will uh through their own top-down heavy-handed approach and it's going to leave everybody worse off as a result of that the dma is just the latest example in a troubling trend where the eu is abusing its power to try and basically turn all these american companies into cash cows for europeans that their countries haven't done anything innovative in over 30 years uh so rather than try to compete with the united states and our and our amazing companies that are good at innovating and driving wealth and creation, they'd rather just go and tax us, basically, uh, for all the hard work that we're doing and do nothing for it themselves. Well, the, so that's the, really problematic. The, the, this is what I find to be, you know, uh, a bit surprising here. I mean, uh, you know, many of these countries are quite sophisticated. They're quite advanced in their own technology. Um, I'm going to butcher this, I know, but, you know, if, if for example, they don't like using Google, okay, the Germans are pretty smart people. Why doesn't somebody in Germany create their Schundende, which roughly translated means the searcher, and come up with a competitive piece of search engine software that can run on computers in Europe? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's nothing that stops them from doing it. But then the problem is that this is where it's just a bunch of virtue signaling. They claim that they, they want to increase competition, but they'll do nothing to go and promote policies that would encourage that innovation and entrepreneurship within their own borders. They want the economies of scale that United States platforms are providing to them, but they don't want to do any of the work to go and create something that's suitable as a competitive replacement instead. So, again, it's just it's a bad combination of factors here where you find the European Union basically trying to fleece American companies because they know that these companies do not want to be and not in compliance with these laws because the penalties are stiff. You're talking about 6% of global revenue is the fine that they're going to assess the companies that do not keep in compliance with these things, which means that companies are going to try their best to comply with this. And that means us all worse off. That means that, you know, these big companies get to go and, you know, continue taking on the position that they currently enjoy. Uh, European companies will not even bother trying to, you know, compete with American ones because they would rather just be uh, a leech 
on the American company's success and not deal with getting gatekeeper status and dealing with all the compliance costs there. It's just a lose-lose situation all around, Craig. And, you know, ironically, James, so much of this, you've hinted at this, um, it comes back to the environment of innovation. I mean, I, 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 I hope people will understand my intent when I say it isn't as if there is something about being born on U.S. soil that makes you naturally smarter than others. I mean, for example, I mentioned about the Germans. My goodness, there's so much that we owe them going back to the invention of the motor car by Mercedes, you know, way back in the 1800s. If you look at the, the, the people that brought about atomic age innovation, most of them were Germans or German Jews that escaped from Germany to come to the United States. Keeping their lives intact was a big part of that. But, you know, I think largely what has made the United States sort of ground zero for technology and innovation down through literally the centuries has been an atmosphere that encourages that, that rewards that, that makes achieving those milestones possible. And so now when you find the EU saying, well, how come not us too, instead of examining themselves and saying, well, what can we do to create the kind of atmosphere that Silicon Valley has so that we can come up with the next Apple device? Instead, they say, let's make it as difficult as possible so that we can create an environment that gives an unfair advantage to our companies, even though they might not be as innovative or competitive or successful, and then effectively doing damage below the waterline to American companies. That's absolutely unacceptable. And the European Union, they have a motive there of saying, don't you dare try to innovate. And in the United States, we dare people to dream. We dare people to go and cross the boundaries of what's possible and to bring us new and exciting things. There's a reason why out of the top 100 companies in the world that are most innovative, the supermajority of them are located in the United States, followed up by China. There's a reason that that happens. We set up a culture of innovation, a culture that says innovate or become irrelevant, and you will be rewarded if you can go and find those things and and create value for people. And that's why we have companies that have market caps that start with the word trillion in it. Europeans don't even have anything remotely close to that. And and it can't be understated that the fact that basically in the 1990s, the European Union gave away on trying to compete on innovation with the United States. They just exported it all to the United States. They're like, well, we're not going to do that. And now they're upset because we have trillions of dollars of economic activity that has resulted from our approach. And they're just trying to go and literally punish us for for having a more successful model that drives innovation, that drives capitalism and success and higher wage earning for people here. They wish that they could have that, but they don't because they don't have the institutional support to make it happen. Now, let me ask you the proverbial $64,000 question. We've kind of outlined what appears to be uh, what they're up to and what the motivation is. The big question is, is there anything within our power to, to respond, to reply to this? I wish. I, I wish right now, but we have an administration who's also, frankly, a little openly hostile towards our tech companies. And don't get me wrong. I, I think you're, it is completely fair to go and have your, your, your reservations about our tech companies. They've certainly done their fair share to earn some of the, the uh, criticisms that they have leveled against them. But at the end of the day, this is like what my mom would say about people trying to you know, uh, insult me or whatever. It's like, only I can go and do that. You don't get to go and say that about my baby, right? Like, I wish that our government would go and take that kind of a stance. But instead, our government is going and having its FTC send staff to the European Union to help with the implementation of this legislation, which is just absurd. 
This is not the, the way that we do things in the United States. We believe in the Consumer Welfare Center that promotes competition. The DSA, which is the Digital Services Act, the complementary piece of legislation that they passed in the European Union, that leads to a more censorious regime online. And we're sending FTC staff to go and help with the implementation of this? It starts with Congress going and holding these agencies accountable, the FTC particularly, for going and even thinking about trying to help out with this, to go and undermine American sovereignty, to undermine American firms. This is where Republicans in the House and Republicans in the Senate can go and conduct much, much needed and very critical oversight of the FTC for its actions and then try to hold the Biden administration accountable for not sticking up for American interests at home and abroad. That is something that is desperately needed right now. Well, you know, this won't be the first time that we have worked uh, with a great vim, vinegar, and gusto against our own best interests. In fact, uh, it, it seems uh, largely in the last uh, 20, 30 years that uh, we've gotten pretty good at that. And, you know, it's high time that we wake up. Uh, you know, I, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, you know that I'm, I'm not in favor of isolationism. I think that that, you know, that that. Should sailed a long time ago um, but you know we we the old the old adage charity begins at home yeah we, we need to take that a bit more seriously and uh, you know while uh, we certainly don't want to ruin our trading relationship with the European Union I think it's also valid to ask the question so why do they want to ruin the trading relationship with the United States it's amazing stuff. You can get more on this story and dig in a little bit deeper by going to americansforprosperity.org. That's americansforprosperity.org. And uh, gain a little bit more insight. You can talk about this intelligently in relationship to um, how these companies are creating, or I'm sorry, the EU is creating an environment where these companies that I've mentioned, most majority of which are all American-based companies, have to comply with some of the draconian aspects of the so-called Digital Markets Act. And, um, you know, make no mistake about it, um, if this begins to take some serious flight and really get some traction, uh, there will be ripple effects back here at home because you're going to see the impact on stock values. Yeah, what do I care? Well, you may not care, but I bet your 401k will. James Chernowski, Senior Policy Analyst in Technology and Innovation at Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org. James, thanks for your time. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, let's uh, turn a corner here. And as we do so, I'm joined by Karen Roseberry, California Pro-Life Council spokesperson. And Karen, always great to have you with us. Want to get a little bit of an update if we can. Uh, There's apparently a new Danish study out. I've had a chance to kind of uh, leaf through it here that is uh, connecting the dots between significantly higher rates of suicide for people that are dealing with uh, gender dysphoria um, give some insights to that, and if you would, in specific, uh, the connection where Planned Parenthood of all organizations is beginning to kind of uh, get involved in this battle. Tell me what's going on. Absolutely. Craig, great to be with you again. Thank you so much. So, yes, there, there was a Danish study that came out that does show a, a significant uh, risk of, of suicide uh, to those that, that are struggling uh, with, you know, uh, gender dysphoria and uh, that, you know, may, uh, you know, opt to transition um, from their biological gender into their, you know, believed, you know, gender. And, you know, Planned Parenthood has been on the forefront for 
you know, years now about gender affirming care. They have tweet after tweet that um, is, you know, just showing a cross section, you know, between the fact that, you know, abortion care and transgender care are, you know, mutually compatible and that, you know, you almost you can't have one without the other, essentially, is their argument. And, and really, this is just evidence of, of what so many of us in, in the pro-life community have just really seen as that slippery slope of parents losing their parental rights and control over just being able to care and protect their children. Um, because what we're seeing is this demand for, if you will, gender-affirming care of minors, and yet parents have a legitimate concern for their children's mental health and well-being, and it even puts them at, at a heightened risk of suicide, and, and may want to explore other ways that they can they can help their child who might be struggling with just the, these, these questions and these concerns going on in their mind. Yet, that's not at all being discussed or tolerated or even seen as an option. Uh, I mean, we've got, you know, Rob Bonta right now, the Attorney General, going after school boards that want to make sure parents are informed about their, their children's actions at school and, and whether they're manifesting, you know, a, a gender different than their biological gender, and yet they are being attacked as being, you know, not affirming and, and that this is a danger to the children. What's a danger to the children is putting them at this risk of heightened suicide. And we just, we really need to do better as a society to let parents protect their kids. But what I find fascinating is that instead of creating an environment where we are trying to gain the support of parents in caring mm-hmm. for their children. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead, we're almost trying to create a sense of isolation between parents and children. And, and my fear is, well, if it starts here with gender dysphoria, where does it end? I mean, do, you know, as, as we see the push, for example, to reclassify certain drugs in this country, we mm. see the scourge of what's happening in states like California. Longtime listeners here over the last few weeks know we've been covering the story about the attempt of Union City to put a recreational pot store in a residential neighborhood next to families and seniors and children's. They don't care. It's all about the tax dollar to them. They could care less about the impact. At least three members of the city council can't. And I have to wonder, at one point, did we say, well, you know, listen, kids have a, a right to, if they want to get high, they have a right to get high, and parents should not be a part of that. I mean, it's almost as if parents have to come along, produce the kids, pay for the kids, but their their rights and, and responsibilities begin and end there. I mean, where does it stop? Oh, I completely agree. I mean, it, it is truly frightening to see government making these claims that they are a better protector or provider or that the children belong to them. I mean, literally, it is a page straight out of a Marxist playbook. And and we don't even we don't even look at these things anymore. You know, you, you say that and you're like, oh, Marx, oh, conspiracy or oh, communism or what's that? You know, but, but the reality is, is that when we strip and destroy the most fundamental sociological unit, the family, and we rip that to shreds, then who's going to come along and actually care for individuals? I mean, that's why, I mean, honestly, the the destruction of the family is is the reason for so many of the ills of society. You know, there isn't anyone, you know, to care for individuals. We have a health care crisis. There isn't anyone to house individuals. We have a homelessness crisis. There isn't anyone, you know, to, you know, just, you know, provide, you know, the, the level of support that's needed. We have mental health issue crises. 
And, and all of it stems from the fact that we're not allowing the family to be that essential unit of support and survival for, for our society. And, and government is, is just filling the power void that that ensues as a result. And sadly, once the damage is done, though, they're more than happy to then turn around and present the bill to the parents for the mental health crisis that ensues. It's it's pretty pretty frightening. Karen Roseberry, again, with the California Pro-Life Council. Information available on the web at californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. Karen, we appreciate the update. Six o'clock from KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.